you, Jesus, that you are a saving, you are a rescuing God. We thank you, Lord, that you heal us from the inside out. Thank you that you use us as your vessel, Lord, however that may look. Help us to just be open to be able to share your word to those who really need your love. We thank you, Lord. You are a good God. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Oh, good morning. Morning also to those who I understand we're streaming to at Benzel and also to those who are watching and listening online. Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, the King, the Saviour. It's particularly pertinent for me to be able to share with you on Jesus. As many of you will know, uh, I came back to faith many years ago around the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? That's a question not only for those who are not believing in him as Messiah, but also I believe a very relevant question to us as growing Christians. Messiah was a very, very familiar term and concept for the Jews of Jesus' day. There's a, a rich vein of what's called uh, messianic prophecy in the Old Testament and it streams across at least a thousand years from when Moses was writing in Genesis right through to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, which is drawing over and over again, sometimes in very, very clear terms, sometimes in somewhat disguised terms, attention to the fact that there's a Messiah coming for the Jews. There's a saviour coming for the Jews. An anointed one often and appropriately sometimes expressed as king. One of the amazing things about these prophecies is actually that some of the predictions are so specific that you would, you would never guess them in a thousand years. There's a combination of him being presented as born in Bethlehem, um, in David's line as king, born of a virgin, uh, imagine the odds for that, um, put those three together, quite specific prophecies about Jesus and you recognise, hang on, uh, there's something really special here. God's been preparing his people for a saviour, for a king, for the anointed one to come. One of the examples of those over 40 prophecies in the Old Testament is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the
the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And you know that this prophetic theme of Messiah was actually a part of what the angel talked to Mary about. And uh, there's this direct link that Mary as a virgin would give birth to the Messiah. As mentioned, the messianic message and theme was very common in Jesus' time. For instance, uh, we recognise that John the Baptist, um, when his disciples were around him on one occasion and Jesus walked by, he pointed out and said, here is the prophet, the one who is coming. The one we're looking for to deliver us, to free us, to save us. Now, the Jews had a, an idea about that, that that would mean that they would be liberated from the Romans, that in actual fact it would be a political and a military saving, a political and a military rescuing. That's why many of the Jews, most of the Jews actually missed him. They didn't recognise who Jesus was and is. In John chapter 6, we have a very interesting part of the ministry of Jesus and his potentially becoming this anointed one and king. After the prophets saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, uh, sorry, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, harking back to the prophecy, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. In other words, they actually wanted to make him physically and literally the king of Israel. And what did he do? We don't actually know exactly what he did or how he got out of there, but it just says he, he basically snuck through the crowd and went back up to the mountain probably to pray by himself to his father. In other words, he was rejecting this common idea that he would come in physical, political even military power and that that was probably the reason why most of the Jews in those days actually missed him. I was interested to read uh, in the Weekend Australian one weekend ago an article by a, an ex-Supreme Court judge in England which was actually about democracy and the, and the potential diminishing of democracy, of democratic um, situations in the world today and saying basically if you look around there's more dictators seem to be um, taking control within our world at the moment and that some of the democracies seem to be uh, really struggling. And this uh, ex-Supreme Court judge was saying um, 
one of the dilemmas with democracy, and obviously he was supporting democracy very strongly as from his perspective and mine in this present day, the best way for a country to go in terms of its government and its ruling. Uh, but he was saying that as soon as things start to go wrong or, um, you know, cost of living goes up or there are dilemmas for the average populace or the people in the nation, then almost automatically we start looking for a saviour. We start looking for somebody, maybe a, a benevolent dictator. And some people have actually said the best kind of rule is a benevolent dictator, somebody who is for you, on your side, good, but actually has the power to change rather than it being just the popular vote. But I love the idea that even within us, whenever in our ordinary everyday lives things are not going all that smoothly, we're looking for a liberator, we're looking for a messiah, we're looking for somebody to lift us out of the dilemmas that we're in. So this is actually a topic that's um, current for many of us in the ordinary ups and downs of life. There's another passage in uh, Matthew chapter 12 that um, helps us to move into this whole idea of Jesus the Messiah um, just a little more. Jesus, knowing they were out to get him, moved on. A lot of people followed him and he healed them all. He also cautioned them to keep it quiet, following guidelines set down by Isaiah. Look well at my hand-picked servant. I love him so much. Take such delight in him. I've placed my spirit on him. He'll decree justice to the nations. But he won't yell, won't raise his voice. There'll be no commotion in the streets. He won't walk over anyone's feelings, won't push you into a corner. Before you know it, his justice will triumph. The mere sound of his name will signal hope, even among far-off unbelievers. And that's a quote from Isaiah 52. So it's a messianic uh, prophecy about Jesus. And uh, Jesus was then seeking to change the people's view of who a might, who, what a Messiah might look like and be. Um, you recognise that Jesus, even in his um, talking with, uh, with the woman at the well, she was looking for a Messiah and she missed him because she was... Uh, initially she missed him because she, again, was looking and the Samaritans had even more reason to be looking for a political liberator and she was looking forward to that. And in response to her raising the question about Jesus, uh, about a Messiah, she said, uh, Jesus said to her, I am he. So he was directly accepting, claiming to be a Messiah. One of the interesting things about the journey of John the Baptist is that although he pointed his disciples to Jesus as the prophet or Messiah, at some stage when he was languishing in prison, I think he had a few doubts as well because he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus 
to ask Jesus, are you the one we're looking for or actually should we look for somebody else? John the Baptist. Now, he was in jail, so he probably um, wasn't uh, in the best kind of context to feel really positive about life and his life. But John the Baptist was looking for Jesus to actually be the kind of Messiah that perhaps the people of Israel were looking for. And Jesus sent John's disciples back saying, um, just tell John what you have seen and heard over the period that you've been with me. Healing the sick, teaching the people. This passage from Isaiah 42 shows very clearly that Jesus is a different kind of Messiah. Jesus, it says, he'll be gentle. He won't bully anybody. He won't be the kind of leader that their temporal, their military or their physical power you have to take notice of. This kind of Messiah you could easily miss if you were looking in the wrong place. Um, I asked myself and I ask you this morning, if we'd been there 2,000 years ago, do you think I, do you think you may have missed him? Even today in our lives, and I must admit, I must confess that semi-regularly and sometimes very regularly, I'm just looking for a Messiah who is not so gentle, is not so indirect, is not so inherently caring and loving and working in those ways that I want him to move the furniture around. I want him to do something. It's often a self-centred thing, but it's a, almost a natural thing. Where would we have been? Would we have been in the crowd at the cross? Would we have been in the crowd at Jesus' trial? Would we have been in the crowd that looked for miracles rather than listen deeply to Jesus' teaching? I've been reading recently again a book that I found very helpful entitled um, Finding God When He Seems to Be Hiding. Does that ring true to you? I found it incredibly helpful. Finding God When He Seems to Be Hiding. The Messiah who came, Jesus, was missed primarily because his salvation was a spiritual release. His salvation was a personal and communal release through grace and love. And these incredibly powerful, the most powerful forces in the world for good, love and grace, are the key aspects, weapons, capacities of God in this world today through Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, and uh, this is actually chapter 5, and it's a, 
a reasonably long passage, but I'd like um, to read it to you because this passage moves, I believe, this understanding of Jesus as Messiah um, forward a little more. And this is uh, Paul, of course, speaking. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. I find those, those verses very powerful, centering us in on what is the Messiah saving us from and how. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land, doesn't, doesn't live in, in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures, the creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable, with plenty of time and space for living, so we could seek after God, and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us, He's not remote, he's near. We live and move in him, can't get away from him. One of your poets said it so well, we're the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think we could hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? He doesn't play hide and seek. But do we have eyes to see? and ears to hear because, and even uh, Paul very clearly understands that the way the people looked at the Messiah in the day Jesus was alive and when Paul was converted and preaching meant that actually they missed him. We looked at the Messiah that way once, Paul says, and we missed him. So that we shouldn't look for the external or even the political or the military or the physical power or rescue. This is an internal, relational, spiritual release from our self-centeredness, from the capacity that we seem to have to hold on to grudges and not to be able to live freely and lightly through forgiveness, through the grace of God, to feel insecure from day to day and have to prove ourselves in ways that are supposedly obvious to other people but may be bruising to them. This is a release 
the Messiah has come, the Spirit of God is in our lives to help us to be different from the inside out. I've um, reflected before, at least at Bensville, but probably also here at Tumby, that one of the ways in which I picture um, God working today is through a, a story or a, uh, uh, a situation that I came to know about many years ago of a sermon preached by Peter Marshall, who was a Scottish preacher but became chaplain to the United States Senate. And he preached a, a sermon entitled The Keeper of the Springs. And it was about a European village that had pure water and a good trade in selling that water and, and tourists would come from all over because of the purity of the water. And there was a person whose role was to go around from day to day and clear out the, the springs so that the water stayed pure and um, refreshing and drinkable. And they were in a tough financial situation so they asked what does he do and nobody knew what he did so they sacked him and within a fairly short period of time the water had become polluted the tourists didn't come anymore the whole ecology of the area was degraded so they reinstated the keeper of the springs the person who held it all together in a way that wasn't as obvious as other ways of doing effective power and expression. That there was within the keeper of the springs a going to the essence in order to keep that right so the rest of life could work well. So God wants, although sometimes I get it, I personally feel, why do you hide so much? The deepest dilemma we have is a spiritual dilemma and forgiveness is our deepest need. Reconciliation of relationships are our, probably our deepest need from a relational point of view going forward. And it's at the essence that Jesus became the liberator and the Messiah. And if you wonder about whether God has chosen the best way to work by being gentle and being gracious and being loving, just have a look at history and ask yourself, of all of the ways in which power or influence could be expressed over at least the last 2,000 years, but longer than that, of all of the ways that dictators or kings or rulers have expressed themselves, what is the most sustainable, most effective, most um, powerful in the deeper sense of the world way of going about liberation or salvation or being the king? Nothing comes anywhere near Jesus. Jesus and the way he ministered when on earth, Jesus and the way he puts his spirit within us to be able to express that 
firm, sustainable, courageous, but gentle spirit of love and grace. I love it in Colossians 1 verse 17 where the message, and I haven't got a, a slide for this, but the message actually indicates that Jesus holds it all together today. He holds everything together through his love. Love, God's love, is the dynamic to provide reconciliation as the dynamo at the centre of all that has been created, including us. And this, this incredible liberation, this spiritual, personal, deep liberation that we can experience from day to day can allow us then to see God where we haven't seen him before. Not to miss him. Uh, on one occasion we owned a, a, a Peugeot car. Um, I didn't even know about Peugeot hardly before then but then when you own one you see them all over the place. Somehow or other you become sensitised to what is reality. You actually can pick it out. I reckon that there's something of that about having eyes to see and ears to hear. What are we looking for? Do we actually experience and see God? Mark and I couldn't help but be just dumbfounded by the colours as we were driving here today. Have you noticed the bottle brush colours and, and many other colours? We were watching television during the week and just in a, a, a news commentary situation, it was expressed that in this season of floods and of fires in Australia, the volunteer numbers for SES and fire in Australia have increased astronomically. In other words, in the heart of real dilemma and difficulty for many Australian people, the love and the grace of God can be seen. The colours and the flavours of God are still alive in this world today. I won't read it to you, but there's a fantastic passage in uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, just to show you that, that I'm not making this up. Um, in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, um, Paul says to the people, um, he's not far away from us, you know. In him we live and move and have our being. If we have eyes to see his love and his grace and who he is as Messiah and as King, those evidences are all around us. In Revelation, in addressing the churches, the thing that the Spirit or Jesus says to each of those churches before and after the specific message is, if you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
If you have eyes to see, if I have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, we can actually experience God as Messiah, God as Saviour, God as King of this world to bring this world to his conclusion all around us and within the very heart of who we are. And this will lift our spirits so that we can go from here into this world to be his colours and his flavours. Can we pray together? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our saviour, you are our Messiah. There seems to be in us this desire that you would be politically or physically or even miraculously so obvious that we can't deny you. You are able to do miracles. You are strong. You can be in the storm. You can be in the wind. But it's your still small voice that is your normal way of looking and helping and saving us. Thank you, Father, that in you we live and move and have our being, that you are not far away from any one of us and from this world. And if we can actually be your colours and flavours, people will come to see and be saved by your love and your grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.